Welcome back to the RGV Model Rocketry Podcast. I'm going to be your host today. My name is Randy, and today's subject is going to be NAR, National Association of Rocketry, Level 1 High Power Certification. How do you do it? How do you get it? What is it? We'll get right into that. So Level 1 in High Power Rocketry is a certification given by the certifying agency, whether it be NAR, National Association of Rocketry, or Tripoli Rocketry Association, TRA. Today we're going to be focusing on the NAR, High Power Level 1 Certification. What is it? A High Power Level 1 Certification gives you the ability to purchase H and I class model rocket motors. Uh, H&I are certified as high power, and most vendors will not sell you those motors without a high power certification by a certifying agency. I will mention that some vendors will sell you a single high power motor, HRI class, for example, for a level one certification flight, but just the one motor. If you can't find a vendor that'll sell that motor to you, reach out to uh, the certifying team that's going to do your certification, and usually one of those members will purchase the motor for you, or on your behalf, I should say. So that's what Level 1 certification is. How do you do it? Well, there's a couple of prerequisites. First, with NAR, remember we're talking about NAR today, you have to be 18 years old or older. You have to be an NAR member, of course, if they're going to certify you, an NAR member in good standing. And the motor that you're using to certify for high power has to be a certified motor certified by NAR or another organization such as Tripoli Rocketry Association. You have to get a team together that's going to do your certification. Now, what is the team? The team can be two members of the NAR in good standing who are 18 years old or older. Now, what do we mean by good standing? That means that they have a current and valid NAR membership. At least one of those team members has to be equal to the level that they're witnessing for. So if you're going to go for a level one certification, one of your team members has to be at least level one. The other doesn't have to be certified. They're just a witness, but at least one of the members must be at the same level that you are wanting to certify for. Now, there's a caveat to that. For level one, it can be witnessed by a single NAR team member, a single person who's an NAR member in good standing as long as they're level two. If you have a single level two team member, then the two witness rule is waived. You only need that one person, but they have to be level two and they have to be a member in good standing. Now, I want to also mention that all certifications have to be in person. So in other words, you can't make a videotape of your certification attempt and send it to your certification team and ask them to certify you. That won't work. So what are the certification procedures? How do you do it once you've, once you've put all the prerequisites and you have your team together? Well, of course, at the launch that you're going to attempt your certification at, you have to have enough appropriate team members as described in the certification team above either one member level two or two members, at least one of which is level one. 
they have to be present at that launch. Uh, there has to be a waiver in place that's appropriate for the flight that you're going to fly. So if you're going to try a level one flight that's going to go to 5,000 feet and the waiver is for 3,000 feet, that's not going to work. So make sure that there's a waiver in place appropriate for your flight. The candidate, that's you, must have built the rocket. Uh, you can't fly somebody else's rocket. It can be scratch built. It can be a kit. It doesn't matter as long as you built the rocket. It can be a cluster or a staged flight. What's a cluster? If you're just, just getting into rocketry, you may not know. A cluster is multiple motors in a single rocket that all light at the same time uh, or staged. So one motor lights and then it, a second motor ignites at a different time. Uh, we're not going to go into what all that is, but just know that if you're flying a cluster or a staged rocket, at least one motor in that rocket has to be H or I, which is the requirement for level one, H or I motors. It can be a single-use motor. It can be a reloadable motor. It doesn't matter. They're both acceptable. But if it's a reloadable motor, you've got to have one of your certification team members present while you assemble that motor. Once you've got the motor assembled, the rocket's ready to go, make sure that you complete the applicant section of an NAR Level 1 High Power Certification application before the flight before the flight. Uh, doing it afterwards, they may allow you to do it, but it's not appropriate. The rocket has to go through a safety inspection prior to flight. Now be prepared. Whenever you go into this inspection, there may be an oral exam, probably will be an oral exam, where they're going to ask you to identify, for example, your center of pressure. Show it to me. Where's it at? Where's your center of gravity? Which one of those has to be further forward? That may be a question they ask you. What type of recovery are you using? What's your caliber of stability? And you'll have to know what that is. That means your relationship of center pressure to center of gravity. Center of gravity always has to be forward of the center of pressure. Otherwise, the rocket won't be stable. These are things you have to know before you go into your level one flight. They may ask you, I see you're flying a. H-128, what does that mean? And you'll have to describe what the motor designator means. What's your thrust-to-weight ratio? What's your anticipated speed off the rod, etc., etc.? A lot of these can be garnered by using a piece of software, such as OpenRocket or RockSim. I'm not endorsing either. I use both. And you can enter all of the dimensions, all of the weights, all of the components in your rocket into these softwares, and it'll actually do a nice little CAD drawing of your rocket, and it'll also calculate your center of pressure. The center of gravity will be calculated, but you need to verify that uh, after the rocket build is complete by doing a manual test to see where the center of gravity is at. I suggest putting markers on your CP your center of pressure, and your center of gravity, CG, so that you can quickly identify them for the certification team. They can be removable stickers if you don't want to leave them on there, but that, that really helps to get through the safety inspection process.
If you have a printout from those softwares, that's a huge advantage to present to your certification team and help them be comfortable with your flight, just as you should be comfortable with your flight before you begin. Now, the flight has to be witnessed in person by your certification team or by that single level two certification member. And it's got to be a safe flight. You can't have any catastrophic failure of the airframe if the airframe buckles, shreds, bends in half, comes apart. Uh, that's a failure. Failure of the recovery system. If the parachute shreds or breaks when it comes out, the shock cord breaks. If the motor has a catastrophic failure, even if it's not your fault, if the motor has a catastrophic failure, then it's not a successful certification attempt. Now, let's make the presumption that you had a uh, successful flight. We all know you will. Then you have to return the rocket to the certification team for a post-flight inspection. And what they're going to be looking for is, can it fly again without major repairs? They're not going to gig you for something that might be normal maintenance. For example, oh, the shock cord looks like it has a charred portion in it. It did not break, but I want to replace the shock cord before my next flight. That's normal maintenance, and that's allowed. But, for instance, if it zippered the entire side of the rocket, a zipper is when the parachute comes out too early or too late and the rocket is moving too fast and the shock cord rips the side of the rocket open, uh, a tiny zipper may or may not disqualify you. That's at the discretion of the certification team. But if it zippers the whole side of the rocket out where you're going to have to replace the entire tube, that's not normal maintenance. And that will probably be classified as a, I'm not going to say a failure again, but let's just say a disqualifying reason. So, as I said, some of the items are left to the discretion of the certification team. It's my suggestion not to argue with the certification team if they say, uh, that's not going to pass because this happened, X, Y, Z, whatever it may be. Because what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You get to fly the rocket again and try another attempt. That's It's all fun. It's all good. What are the responsibilities after the flight? The certification team is going to fill out an affidavit that's part of the uh, certification application. They're going to fill out your Level 1 temporary certification card, which is on the application. Now, there's a little redundancy in what you have to do here, or should I say duplication of effort, because... Once the application and the temporary cert card are signed, they're going to be given back to the applicant, and they most, both must be signed. Now, it's the certification team and the candidate's responsibility to make sure that you agree on everything that's on the form and that it's all accurate and everything that's on the temporary certification card. They're going to return both of those back to you, the candidate. Now we switch over to the candidate's responsibility. Uh, the candidate has to log on to the NAR website, and I will put uh, the NAR URL for both the website and for the digital form that you're going to have to fill out on the NAR website. I'll put those in the description of this podcast.
It's the candidate's responsibility to log on to the website and fill out that digital level one high power certification form. You're basically just going to transfer the data from the paper form that was returned to you over onto the form that is on the website. Answer the questions. If it asks for the certification team and there's three blanks, don't worry, just put two because you only need two certification members. If you had a level two member, you only have to put one. So don't worry about filling out all of the all of the blanks that are on that form. Some of them are intended, for example, for a level three, in which case you would have to have more than one member or a level two, which requires more than one member. So you're going to transfer the data from the paper form to fill out the digital form. Then you're going to have to have scanned your paper form, side one and side two. All of these instructions are on the NAR website on the digital form. Scan side one and two, and you're going to attach those in the places indicated on the digital form. Now, if you don't have access to a computer, does that exclude you? No, not at all. Just make sure to get with one of your team members. Get with your certifying team members and ask them if one of them can fill out the digital form for you because you don't have access to a computer. Well, that takes care of the digital form, but you might ask yourself, what's to prevent someone from cheating? and just filling out the digital form, faking everything, and submitting it. Well, the the check and balance is that they're going to email your team members, the certifying team, and they're going to ask them, did you do this certification? Was it successful? So once the team members reply to NAR and say, yes, I was on that team, they did a good job, they were uh, successful, then NAR will begin processing your application. So they'll get your application processed, and in five to six weeks, you'll receive a new card with your new certification level. So wait at least six weeks before you start calling NAR headquarters about a missing card because they have a full workload and, and uh, it takes time. So they they recommend wait at least six weeks before you call them. If you don't have it in six weeks, give them a call and say, hey, I certified, haven't got my card yet. It's been seven weeks, for example, and just thought I'd give you a call, and they'll check on it for you. The temporary card that you receive at the launch, that's that paper form that you have in your hand. Don't lose it. The temporary card is valid for 60 days, so that'll give you time to get your your new certification card in the mail. Now, it's valid for 60 days with this caveat, or until the end of your membership. So if your membership expires in three weeks and you just certified, then the temporary card is only valid to the end of your membership. So it's 60 days or the end of your membership, whichever comes first. Uh, Once you receive your regular, I'm not going to say permanent, but your regular membership card in the mail, Uh, you should destroy your temporary card. Uh, If you want to make a digital copy of it for uh, a souvenir, that's fine. But uh, according to NAR, this this is not my (laughs) 
My theory on it, according to NAR, you should destroy your temporary card after you receive your new membership card in the mail. A few administrative wrap-ups here. What, what happens if you do lie on your application? Falsification by the candidate will, it doesn't say can, it says will result in revocation of high-power certification. So we know you're, nobody is going to falsify data, but if it happens, uh, they will take away your high-power certification. Now, what if a team member falsifies something for you? For example, saying there was a waiver when there really wasn't. Well, I'm going to read it verbatim. Falsification by team member. Example, falsification of presence of waiver can result in loss of the team member's membership. So the team members are not going to falsify data for you because they're putting their entire membership on the line. What if you have a Tripoli Level 1 membership already? Well, Tripoli Level 1 members can get an NAR Level 1 by being an NAR member, filling out the high-power application, the same form that someone does if they're doing their high-power from scratch. Only the ID portion, though, the, the flight safety inspection and all that's not required in this instance. And then attaching proof of their Tripoli high-power certification. And then asking NAR to grandfather their level one onto the, their NAR membership. Do you have to join NAR to fly at an NAR launch? No, not if you're a Tripoli member. Tripoli certifications will be honored at NAR launches upon presentation of proof of TRA certification. So as long as you can present your Tripoli membership card at the NAR launch, most NAR organizations will allow you to launch at your Tripoli certification level, be it level one, two, or three. Now there's a caveat to that also, though. Tripoli allows research motors, but if you're using your Tripoli card at an NAR launch, only certified motors are allowed at NAR launches, so no research motors, even if you're a Tripoli member. NAR high-power certifications are good for the life of your membership. As long as you keep renewing your membership, you still maintain your NAR certification level. If your membership lapses, however, you lose your certification, but you can get it back by renewing your membership and requesting that your certification be reinstated. So I guess in that sense, it's kind of a, a lifetime certification as long as your membership is in place and valid. And if your membership ever, you forget to renew it, for example, then when you do renew it, make sure to request that your certification be reinstated and NAR will reinstate that, that membership for you. So that's it. That's a little bit about NAR certifications at level one. Next time we meet, we're going to go over the level two certifications. Maybe not as in-depth as we did on level one because a lot of the same things still apply. But we'll look at what's different between level one and level two and what's necessary to get your level two National Association of Rocketry certification. All right, guys, that's it for this week. 
We hope you enjoyed the podcast, and we'll try to get another one out next week. If not, at least within the next couple of weeks on Level 2 Certification. We hope to see you all then. Keep the pointy end up, and I'm Randy with the Rio Grande Valley Rocketry Podcast.